Believe me, there's plenty of people going off track on this business. Uh, Satan really doesn't care which side of the tracks you fall off on or whether you get run over in the middle of the track as long as something happens to you. So the good news is greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And um, he is going to see us through. If his promises were not sure, then what would be the point of being here today? We might as well be at the beach or somewhere. So blessings on our time together. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your blessings. You have given us your word through your service to prophets. We are here to understand and interpret the word as your Holy Spirit leads us. Be with each person here that they will receive something, and may we have time to share together this week. We pray now for your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the problems with these kinds of seminars is, as I just mentioned, I have 80 slides in 70 minutes, and I have no doubt that I may not make it all the way through. And, of course, if I'm talking, it's hard for you to talk. And it's really sad because we need to be hearing each other talk some. Um, there is a danger in that. Some of you have discovered over the years, somebody will get to talking out there and then the person up front can't get a word in edgewise to get them to stop, you know? You ever been to testimony meetings where 10 minutes into their testimony, everybody's hoping he's going to make it, you know? Um, so anyway, I will stay around. I'm here all week. I'm, I'm staying here at the terrace. We will talk night and day if you wish, study. I'm always up to hearing some new thought from scripture uh, I won't say I've heard every variation on what's going on in the book of Daniel and Revelation but I've heard a number of them and those people email me and buttonhole me and do all kinds of things so here we go the topic I was assigned was something to do with religious liberty at the end time with the theme of our camp meeting being the great controversy now that's as broad as you can get so I suppose anything I might say is on topic to a degree. Um, and there will be some material on Revelation because obviously when you talk about religious liberty at the end times, uh, the book of Revelation does have things to say about that. Now just so you'll know, if you haven't looked at the sermon or the lecture, this is a lecture, not a sermon. I, I don't yet feel a sermon coming on or getting into that mode yet, but we'll see. Um, today is a brief history of religious freedom in America primarily, although we'll mention some other areas. Tomorrow is a look at the identity of the seven heads of the three seven-headed beasts of Revelation 12, 13, and 17. And I know you all have your own list of seven, eight heads, okay, so come prepared. Number three, Wednesday, is very interesting. We're going to be talking about evangelical expectations of Donald Trump. Now, I will give you a caveat here. I do not care what Donald Trump does in his personal life. That's, we're not here to talk about the politics of Donald Trump. We're talking about the ideology of what's going on. So don't get into the weeds on this we're going to look 
evangelicals voted for certain reasons for a person who does certain things or is going to do certain things, and that's what we're interested in looking at. On Thursday, you've heard the famous phrase from the Spirit of Prophecy, clasping hands across the gulf. I hope you can sort of imagine what that topic is going to be about. And Friday, it will be talking about the two allies of Revelation 13, which would be the earth beast and the sea beast. So without any further ado, I'll try not to hit this thing here. I'm going to be up and down looking at this. So Here we go. I hope you like the sign. It was on a website, either Americans United or ACLU, and I think it says pretty much uh, where we're at. We are certainly at a crossroads. It is so important to understand that the Bible, even though we're classified as literal fundamentalists, I hope that's the way we stay. And I mean literal in that we take things literal in the Bible. I'm not talking about a literal uh, verbal translation of the Bible. And fundamentalists, as you're going to find out, according to Pope Francis, are terrorists. Just the fact that you are a fundamentalist, whether you're Muslim, Christian, or whatever, you're a terrorist. So that's not a good thing, but we must stick with the word. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost to produce the prophecies. We have a sure word of prophecy. And in Amos, the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets unto his servants. Why do I keep it? Okay. okay. I feel better. <laughs> Folks, we do not, even though we see through the glass darkly, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, we are not blind and ignorant. Because everything that we need to know is predicted in Scripture through his servants, the prophets. And that's why Daniel and Revelation are there and with the rest of the books supporting it. Because we, we may not know when this particular event is going to exactly occur, this one, this one. But we can understand the sequence and when you see the signs, you know that it's coming. And even so, what does she say it's going to be an overwhelming Surprise! And as I was talking to my friend Norm McNulty the other night, when you think of the ten virgins, what happened? They were asleep, and then the cry came out, go you out to meet him. Now, you know what that is? That is the loud cry of Revelation 18. That means, and I hate to tell you folks, we're all Laodicean because we're still here, okay? So by definition, you and I are Laodicean. <laughs> we are still here. And that's not good, but there's going to be a wake-up with the loud cry, call, and that's when everybody's going to discover how much oil they've got. And that is going to be a deadly scary thing in many ways. So now is the time, now is the day of salvation, and do not harden your hearts as in the provocation. So the Bible is very clear. We do not have to apologize for the legacy we've been given by the Protestant Reformation. You know this statement, none but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. We do face a wily foe. Lucifer lived among the stones, the throne of God. Every stone was his covering, which means every characteristic that he had was given to him by God. It was... A, the most incredible angel in the universe. And uh, 
it's no surprise that Steven Spielberg and all the Star Wars derivatives play off the great controversy theme. They actually do. They say they do. So Lucifer turns Satan. He's a deceiver. Did you know that the dragon is the mature form of the serpent in mythology? And in Revelation 12, he's called the great red dragon, red for the blood. And last of all, he's going to be an angel of light. So the only sure thing we have is Jesus Christ officiating and mediating for you and me in the sanctuary, and he's ready to send everything in heaven for any soul on their knees asking for help. So there was war in heaven. We know what happened. And, uh, of course, he was limited to this earth after the resurrection of Jesus. And, of course, when you get to 1217, which is at the end of time after the 1260 years, he's very angry or wroth with the church. He can't get a hold of Jesus, so he's coming after you. All right, are you ready for the next slide? Now, I don't know what led me. I think it was the Lord led me to put this in here, but I want to say something about this. Conspiracies are real, and I'll prove it to you. And I know that people go around giving presentations that it makes it sound like conspiracy. You know, you've heard some of you are into it, some of you couldn't care less, and others go, well, whatever. But let me tell you, what is a conspiracy? It's a combination of at least two people for a secret, unlawful, or evil purpose. He joined the conspiracy to overthrow the government. Now, does that sound like Satan or Lucifer to you? Lucifer was one, and he began to seduce the angels and say, you're not getting life like you want to have it. And he entered into a conspiracy to overthrow the government of God. So there is a conspiracy. It is real at the highest level, and we should not be surprised. Now, um, there are many conspiracies, and we won't go through this list completely, but you can see readily that uh, the great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns is colluding with the heads. The sea beast, um, the lamb-like beast, uh, colludes with the sea beast, the dragon, the sea beast, the false prophet at the very end collude. I mean, this is a grand conspiracy to overthrow the government of God and to destroy God's people who love him. So please do not misunderstand. We're going to talk about, I won't use the word conspiracy a lot, but just understand that's what we're talking about when we're dealing with this. Now, look at this. The aim of the great rebel has ever been to justify himself and prove the divine government responsible for the rebellion. To this end, he has bent all the power of his giant intellect. He has worked deliberately and systematically and with marvelous success, leading vast multitudes to accept his version of the great controversy which has been so long in progress. Who is the chief of conspiracy? Satan. For thousands of years, this chief of conspiracy has palmed off falsehood for truth. That's the very definition of conspiracy. And that's what he, He's the chief of it. He's also a liar from the beginning, a murderer from the beginning. So 
The time has now come when the rebellion is to be finally defeated and the history and character of Satan disclosed. So rest assured that there is a great conspiracy. The dragon is wroth with the woman and goes to make war on the remnant of her seed who keep the commandments of God. <clears throat> All right. We can move on. It is a masterpiece of Satan's deceptions to keep the minds of men searching and conjecturing into regard to that which God has not made known and which he does not intend that we shall understand. There's probably some things in Revelation that we may not totally understand until we get to heaven. Now he seeks to imbue the minds of men with the same spirit and to lead them also to disregard the direct commands of God. And I have absolutely seen people throw themselves on the rocks of infidelity. They begin to question some clear truth and they get worried. No, no, they start out with some ambiguous situation and that leads, well, if that's not right, maybe this isn't right. And before you know it, you can talk yourself right out of the truth just because of your skepticism and it's not a good thing. So pray never to be misled in that respect. One of Satan's most successful deceptions is to lead men to claim to be sanctified while at the same time they are living in disobedience to God's commandments. Do you think there's a conspiracy going on to help you to, under, to, to be misled like that? Absolutely. It doesn't matter what we see, do, touch, taste, listen, where we're going, it's, it's all okay. <laughs> Lord knows my heart. You know, That's what you've just said right there. It's okay. I have a dear friend there in Greenville. I, I believe she loves the Lord as much as we do here. And she's so worried about our mutual friend who's got a lymphoma. And, oh, has he given it? Has he walked the aisle yet? You know, and, and we believe in walking the aisle. We believe in giving our hearts to Jesus Christ. I grew up in many tent meetings with a sawdust floor down the, <laughs> the sawdust trail, we call it. But, you know, there's something more that goes beyond that once you come into the fellowship and so we're this thing of going on in disobedience <laughs> after you've been born again is just a deadly thing that's going through Christianity right now all right we have to keep moving now who is involved in the conspiracy to deceive would you allow kings presidents parliaments congresses state officials how about secret societies I could name a bunch of them, but we don't have time. How about major corporations, entertainment conglomerates, music and movie producers? The list is endless. Spiritual leaders, their theologies. I was reading some material on Rick Warren, and even his own fellow Baptists and evangelicals are saying he's an apostate because he says nice things about the Pope. <laughs> they even see that. Denominations, Catholics, Protestants, atheism, spirit. Are these people in are these people in in ideologies involved in the conspiracy? I hope your answer is a good bold yes because they are. And the thing that I think is sad, and I've been going to GYCs and ASIs and camp meetings and places, and many of you have, and we hear people talking about the effects of the music industry or the movie industry and this and that. Oh, yes, Mickey Mouse was a bad person, you know. How could that be? Well, I'm here to tell you, these people are in their 30s and 40s, and they worked in those industries. 
and they have come out and they now see the light of God's word and they see the conspiracy of Satan with that industry to destroy people. And so they're trying to tell you. And we're, oh, well, you know, Mickey Mouse is still a good G-rated thing. You know, it's okay. Well, anyway, I'm not here to make a list of things that we do and can't do. That's what you go home and ask the Lord what you're supposed to do for him. And I will tell you, if all you're doing is saying, I won't do this and I won't do that and I can't do this, you're going to do it sooner or later. But if you're saying, Lord, keep me from this, keep me from whatever, help me, then you're going about it the right way. And, and if you go at it the wrong way, sooner or later you'll rebel and well, I'll fool you with it. Who cares? All right. So let me tell you, the conspiracy reaches down to the nth degree. Um, I love when I can anticipate my next slide and go ahead and talk about it without looking at it. When you are running from the dragon, don't forget to run toward the lamb. That is one phrase we're going to talk about many times this week. When you are running from the dragon, don't forget to run to the lamb because that's the only thing that's going to save you. All right. Have you heard anything about religious freedom yet? Well, would you believe there's precious little of it around at any time period in history? Religious freedom is actually a luxury for those in power. The minorities and the, and the small people, they don't really count. Whether it's personal freedom, civil freedom, religious freedom, whatever. Persecution is always around the corner. The haves have personal and civil freedom, and the have-nots have little to no civil freedom. You know, the three estates of medieval Europe, the kings, the prelates and bishops and the knights and then the rest of the goyim down there, we're headed that way. The income inequality is going like this. I'm not a socialist, okay, but I can tell you the income inequality is going like this and that's what brought on the French Revolution. And who knows what we're going to have coming. I'm not here to predict how bad things are going to get, but they're going to be seriously bad. You know, Jesus left some comforting words, be of good cheer. <laughs> but there's no intimation from the text that there would be much freedom of any kind. These things, he says, I've spoken to you that in me you might have peace, and in the world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So you're going to have internal peace that passes understanding because you won't know why it's there and how it's there. But in the world, there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be very little religious freedom. So let's move quickly. We don't know much about the antediluvian world except to say that the thoughts of men's hearts were evil continually. I can't imagine if you read what little there is in the spirit of prophecy, whatever people saw or want, they got and they didn't care if what happened, if they got it. Uh, Enoch lived up in the mountains. It's interesting, the spirit of prophecy, she says that when Enoch went on to heaven, he says all of this where they had secreted away and sequestered away to stay away from all the worldly influences, it just began to seep in, and pretty soon they were gone. So you can run, but you can't hide. Noah, of course... Uh, he was mocked and ridiculed for 120 years as he built the ark. It's a wonder he wasn't killed. I don't know what happened, but the Lord protected him. To say nothing of Lot and Sodom. 
um, which is named after a, a form of perversion is named after that. And uh, it doesn't sound like there was much uh, personal freedom or uh, anything going on in Sodom. How many recognize where that picture came from? You've been around long enough, surely, to re That was the inside cover of the Bible story set, one of them, first one. It was on the web. We all know about Israel's bondage, the exodus in Egypt for 400 years, 430 years. Um, there wasn't much religious freedom there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of course, is a, is a typology of what's going to happen at the end. They were asked to worship the golden image, and they says, Oh, king, live forever. We don't have to worry about it. We're not going to worship it, and if you kill us, you kill us, and if you don't, you don't. So religious choices for religious freedom are not. Esther, you know the story of Esther, another typology. Jesus was certainly persecuted. He was called a blasphemer. He was called everything under the sun. And Caiaphas prophesied that he should die to save the nation. Now, isn't that an irony? <laughs> Thank God that he did save the world with that death. Nero and Christianity, of course, Nero's been accused of singing while Rome burned, and the historians debate that. But needless to say, the Jews were... Uh, blame for the uh, burning of Rome. He, I think he really wanted to burn it so he could build his own palace, which is an amazing just the remnants of that palace are one of the largest ones in the city of Rome. So there was a, this one is important in uh, the story of the seven churches Smyrna is singled out for persecution for ten days. And I just want you to read this with me. This is from Michael Grant, the Roman emperors. Michael Grant is a fellow at Oxford or Cambridge. He's one of the big classical historians. Now, I just want you to rest your mind that something happened in 303 to 313. Diocletian, urged by Caesar Galerius, returned to the harassment of Christians, which had been in abeyance for 40 years, although his wife, own wife Prisca belonged to the faith. As never before, the motive of the great persecution, which began in AD 303, was the total extirpation of Christianity, a struggle to the death between the old and new orders. This persecution by Diocletian fulfills the time prophecy exactly as mentioned. Now, that, I added that. Michael Grant didn't say that. But um, this is from the eminent classical historian. There was a 10 years of persecution just before the empire uh, took over. Uh, Constantine took over the empire and he just baptized whole armies, walked them through the river and baptized them. If you can't beat them, join them. And he was baptized six or seven days before he died just to cover his bases. And of course, we should be familiar with the age of the little horn. Between, depending on the source, some five to seventy million people were martyred for their faith. When you take the tours of the Colosseum and you say well weren't Christians martyred here the tour guide is very polished only criminals were killed in the Colosseum there's no record of any Christians being martyred you remember did they hear they were just over there last year I mean 
it's being washed, history is being washed and sanitized of anything that has got to do with what we have always understood in history. So um, the Albigenses in the 1200s broke with the papacy. 200 to 1,000 to a million people were killed. You can see Montsegur and uh, Chateau de Quiribus. Um, incredible story if you have the time to read it. And of course, we're much more familiar with the Waldensian Crusades and the terrible things that happened. That is a group of Andrews University students having a meeting in the, one of the Waldensian caves. I found that on the internet. Fox's Book of Martyrs and the Bible were the two best sellers in the 1700s. Today, you can ask somebody that's not an Adventist, even some younger Adventists, do you, know, you ever heard of Fox's Book of Martyrs and they don't have a clue? I've shown some people some of the pictures. You know, most of the pictures are on the web. You can just look at the whole book. Scares people totally to death when they see what happened. As it should. And you know, I've been an Adventist all my life, and you have too probably, and, or you've been around long enough to know what kind of persecution could come. It's scary, isn't it? Spirit of Prophecy says, in most cases in your life, what you think is terrible, it doesn't turn out to be so bad. But she says, in this case, it'll be worse than anything you've ever done. So none but those who have fortified their minds with the Word of God will ever get through that. I mean, it's just... I mean, this is what the stakes are. They're for eternal life, folks. This isn't whether you're going to live a natural life and die a natural death. It has nothing to do with that. This is the stakes that are coming. Interesting map by the Pew Research Center... The lighter the color, the less restriction of religious freedom. The darker the color you can see in the Arabic countries in the Middle East and uh, Turkey, Iran, and parts of India. Uh, you can see as of 2009, um, I'm not sure how there's more religious freedom in Canada and South America than there is in America. That's an interesting thought. But Moving on. Columbus thought the Indians would not be too hard to convert. You remember he came over in 1492, he sailed the ocean blue. When we were in Spain last year, the tour guide was very open up front. When Ferdinand and Isabel, who were Columbus's patrons, took Granada and unified Spain and drove out the Moors, they immediately instituted the Inquisition, which had started some 20 years before. And the Jews and Islam, Muslims were told, convert to Catholicism or get out or we kill you. I mean, that's how, I mean, that, that's from a secular tour guide. And the whole Muslim quarter of Granada and the Jewish quarter of these other towns, completely gone. And, and even the people who converted and stayed, they still tortured them to make sure that they were still staying Catholic. So, I mean... It's just unbelievable. We we have the, we can read about it, but we just don't have any idea. We won't. I just wanted to let you know that other people came to America before Columbus, Leif Erikson in Newfoundland, a thousand A.D. I really think the history is good enough to say the Chinese visited North and South America back before Columbus. Now, most people have forgotten. Ponce de Leon came to Florida. He named. It Pasqua Florida, or Feast of Flowers. That's where Florida got its name. 
1513. And that's important because when uh, Menendez de Aviles was a Spanish admiral and he came from Asturias, Spain, he founded St. Augustine in 1565. This is before the pilgrims, folks. And you can see this is the oldest town in America. But, but look here, there's something else that was going on. Just north of there, near Jacksonville, Florida, was Fort Caroline. It was built by the French Protestant Huguenots who came over and established a colony at Fort Caroline. Now, why is that interesting? Because the Spanish, who were largely Catholic and occupied much of Florida at the time, slaughtered the Huguenots at Fort Caroline. The Spanish commander wrote the king of Spain that he had hanged the settlers for scattering the odious Lutheran doctor, doctrines in the provinces. <coughs> so religious persecution was alive and well early in America. See, the pilgrims only arrived in 1620. And, of course, they had been persecuted over in the Netherlands and England in these places and they came over and they forgot what they had come out of and they started persecuting everybody else that came. Quakers, Catholics, they were banned from the colony. Several Quakers were hung by the Puritans. I mean, when you start reading the history, uh, per religious liberty just didn't start de novo in 1620 or 1517. It's only by the grace of God and the Constitution of course, Roger Williams was run out of the Massachusetts Bay Colony in the dead of winter. You can see this stylized art uh, depiction of him accepting uh, room with the Indians. And um, so why are we taking all this time? Because the United States is mentioned in Bible prophecy and because it is an exceptional nation. Now, be careful. People are using the word exceptional nation out there left, right, and sideways, but for a different reason. They believe in what's called Christian nationalism, and we'll get into those weeds in a couple of days, but they believe they have the God-given right here to be in charge, pass laws, and make everybody do what they say. We believe America is exceptional for this reason. The dragon was cast out of heaven. Satan then was limited to the earth. And then when he saw he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. The church brought forth the man-child. Well, they had told the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness where she was nourished for a time, time, and half a time. We recognize this to be the medieval Christian church whose adherents fled to the lands of Ireland, the Piedmont Alps, southern France, Montsegur, as far as they could get from the sea beast arising papally. And so in the 15-1600s, Europeans began to escape the sea beast in the old world and come to the new world. That is why America is exceptional. It doesn't give us the power to start forcing people to do something. That's exceptionally bad. All right, but we move on. The text says the woman flew into the wilderness... In 1715, the waters represent the inhabited lands of the Mediterranean basins from which the nations rose, so the wilderness represents the uninhabited country. We don't see a major nation in Australia, Greenland, Iceland, Africa. I mean, they came to America. They came to America. 
Now, this is even a controversial slide. I bet you don't know why, but we've called ourselves the great melting pot. But you know, in today's politically correct environment, we're not to make everybody do what we do. We are to allow everyone's culture and heritage to express itself. Okay, so the progressives don't even like this melting pot theory anymore. But that's what we are. We're, I don't know. How many have done a DNA 23andMe or something? Any of you? You don't have to tell me what you are, but just, okay. Were you surprised? Yeah? Yeah. I met an African-American in one of my jails the other day. His name was McMurray. I says, where have you got Scottish or Irish blood in you? He said, I'm going to go find out. <laughs> so, but anyway, America came together like this. And a lot of people did take on America. You know, it took a generation or two. People couldn't speak anything but Polish or wherever they came from. And then they began to learn English and they began to, and, and away it went. And here was the great American experiment. I visited the first First Baptist Church, and this one was back in the 1700s in Rhode, Providence, Rhode Island. And I thought it would be cool to go where Roger Williams preached and, and, uh, religious freedom but when I mentioned that Roger Williams promoted freedom of religion the guide was very anxious to tell me that it was also freedom from religion and of course that's the flip side of the coin freedom of religion freedom from religion because the Puritans said you, you want to come to church or you'll be in the stock Sunday afternoon or, or they would do well getting excited again here let's quit that okay so anyway, I got to, it was quiet. I got to the piano, played Amazing Grace at the First First Baptist Church. There were no squirrels running around on the floor, though. Can the new world escape the old world sea beast? That's the question. I think you all would answer no. As we're going to see in later lectures, this land of freedom provided by God, as mentioned in the prophecy, cannot escape from the sea beast and its counterpart, the earth beast. Just one further thing that impacts religious freedom in America. How many have any idea what that is over there? Have you seen it before? If you watch some videos and things, you should have seen it before. This is in Paris, in France. This is the Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen from 1789. As you know, Voltaire and many of the uh, precursor uh, thinkers of the French Revolution were atheists and they put this together and if you read it it's of course based on natural law which is Greek philosophy and Thomas Aquinas from the Catholic period the Catholic Church is based on natural law the Pope will tell you that um, he told the Congress that when he <laughs> preached to him but from this, of course, who helped America beat the English? France. Lafayette, all of these people came over. They were revolutionaries. They were going through the same thing or just were about to. 1776 was before the French Revolution, but it morphed into that. But you notice up here, what's that orange thing in the middle there between the two Commandments. Notice the atheist even put them in the form of commandments. Isn't that interesting? Those are the fasces of the Roman military, symbolizing the order and the might of the military. 
What's that little orange thing on top of the sword there? It's the Phrygian hat worn by Mithra, okay? All you got to do is go look at army insignia and you'll see the Phrygian hat on our United States Army uh, medallion insignias. French and America, and, and what do we have standing in the harbor of New York City? Mithra. It's, we call it the Statue of Liberty, but it was the gift of Mithra. See the sunburst on the top that was given to us, and Mithra is welcoming your poor, your tired, and all of that nice things that Emma Lazarus wrote. Well, moving on, here we're getting into revolutionary era America. Let me see how we're doing. 437. I've got to move faster. Thomas Jefferson, of course, as Virginia's governor, drafted a bill that might guarantee religious freedom of all faiths, including those, but the bill didn't pass. Religion was mentioned only once in the Constitution. It prohibits the use of religious tests as qualifications for public office, and that broke with the European tradition um, where you had to sign that you would uh, be religious to hold public office. So we go on. James Madison was a Virginia statesman, obviously. He argued against state support for Christian religious instruction. This is 1785. You're going to see that there are some agencies and denominations that are still asking for the state support of Christian religious instruction. Madison went on to draft the First Amendment, part of the Bill of Rights, including the religion, freedom of religion that we know about. The First Amendment was passed on September 25, 1789, ratified in 1791. The first ten amendments were all passed simultaneously and ratified simultaneously. There's currently 27 amendments to the Constitution. The proposed 28th Amendment calls for all the laws to apply to Congress that apply to citizens. Wouldn't you like that? They're still two states short. But if all those congressional people had to take Medicaid instead of going to Walter Reed Army Hospital and getting the best care, they'd start straightening up, but they won't do it there. I mean... And yet we keep electing them. That's what I don't understand, folks. Quit electing. Turn them out of office. But anyway, we're not supposed to vote anyway. It's all right. The first, here's the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, we know it, that there's two, two clauses in there, the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause. And those have been very important. Do you know Thomas Jefferson first used the term separation of church and state in a letter in 1802 to the Danbury Baptist Association? So <clears throat> these were bright people that wrote the Constitution. They were listening to Europe, to France, to all of this and putting this together, and they did not want to be like Europe. I mean, we say now that it was a country without a king and a church without a pope. I don't know if they put it that way, but that's what they were thinking. They wanted to be different than what they had come out of. And for us, that was a wonderful thing. The 14th Amendment was adopted in 1868, extending religious freedom by preventing states from enacting laws that would advance or inhibit any one religion. Now, <clears throat> question. 
Would you agree that the First Amendment, as we just described it, appears to be undergoing a change in usage? I hope you're saying yes, even if you don't understand it. I'm not sure I understand it totally yet, but yes, it's going through a big change, and we're going to talk about that if we get this far. Are you not puzzled by all the claims made on the First Amendment? I mean, what's a cake got to do with the First Amendment? I mean, I don't. I mean, and remember, we're not here to talk about the merits or get on one side or the other. We're here to observe what's going on with these phenomena, okay? That's very important. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole that gets us nowhere. All right. Now, that discrimination can be religiously affiliated schools firing women because they became pregnant while not married, business owners refusing to provide insurance coverage for contraception for the employees. I mean, when I was going to Southern Missionary College, somebody was smoking pot that weekend and they just got rid of them. I mean, you know, I mean, we didn't go to the First Amendment or, I mean, it was just part of the school policy. You smoke, you're gone. I mean, nowadays, if you smoke anything, you're in, it seems like, but it's crazy. Business owners refusing to provide insurance coverage for contraception, graduate students training to be social workers refusing to counsel gay people, pharmacies turning away women seeking to fill birth control prescriptions, marriage certificates, custom cakes, grants to fund parochial school projects, common bathrooms. I mean, I ask you, what's going on? What in the world is going on? That guy at least is honest. He says, I have no idea what's going on. He looks like he might not know. I don't know. But, uh, so anyway, we're going to try to see if we can bring a little bit of clarity to what's going on. Um, the next thing we want to ask is, do we want a constitutional convention? Some of you are old enough to know we've thought about this and talked about it when it's come up before. Well, we're one or two states away uh, from triggering a constitutional convention. Besides the one about Congress getting the same thing we get, there's a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution that's very close. And every time these get close to being done to call the Constitutional Convention, the Congress will then go and pass a law because they are deadly afraid of a Constitutional Convention and should be. We don't have time to sit here and look at this, but this was the first ten amendments here. You can see abolition of slavery, income tax back in 1910. Aren't you glad that amendment passed? Prohibition of alcohol and then the repeal of prohibition, second presidential term limits after FDR and uh, congressional salaries, etc. Um, <clears throat> now, since the 1960s, states' legislators have submitted like 400 petitions for constitutional conventions. Here's three of the amendments. Would have allowed prayer in the schools, prohibited busing for racial balance, permitted the states to make abortions illegal. In each of these cases, the supporters fell short of the 34 states. And then I think it takes 37 or 38 to ratify it. Now... The answer is no. And look what some, the late Justice Antonin Scalia said, I certainly would not want a constitutional convention. Whoa, who knows what would come out of it. So as conservative an icon as he was, he knows 
He knew that a constitutional convention was a dead dog wrong thing to do. And then Warren Burger, 1988, there is no way effective to limit or muzzle the actions of a constitutional convention. The convention could make its own rules, set its own agenda, etc. So it's a bad, bad, bad idea. And uh, but do you? I just want you to think for a moment. And we're going to see that quote later on where she says, "When, when the people of the United States and the Congress completely throws out its own constitution and starts doing something else." Do you see how fast it could be? 38 states, 50 states overnight could pass an amendment, have a convention, change what they need to change, and move on. I don't know if any of you remember Terry Schiavo. She was on a respirator in Florida. What was it? In three days, Congress had passed a bill to keep her on a respirator, and they can't even pass a budget for 10 years. Three days. It was done. So... Don't tell me when it says the last movements will be rapid ones. That's a true statement. Well, just some examples of religious intolerance in the United States. I lived out in Utah for three and a half years. It was an interesting time in my life. Of course, in, uh, the Mormons were attacked. You can see here Governor Lilburn Boggs um, issued an extermination order which directed General John Clark to treat all the members of the Mormon church as enemies. They must be either exterminated or removed from the state. It was officially rescinded in 1976. Well, uh, Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram had been in jail waiting trial when the armed mob of 200 people stormed the facility. They were basically killed by the mob in Carthage, Illinois, on June 27, 1844. That's an interesting date. Hiram was killed first, having the shot to the face. Joseph Smith shot a few pistol shots off and then was shot while trying to escape through a second-story window. The Mormons eventually ended up in Utah under Brigham Young. Notice what happened to Indians in the, early, in the late 19th, early 20th century. The U.S. government subsidized boarding schools to educate and assimilate Native American children. At these schools, Native American children were prohibited from wearing ceremonial clothes or practicing Native religions. So this is forms of religious intolerance or civil intolerance. You can see they're trying to make America homogenous. And when we get two or three days from now talking about Christian nationalism and all the things about that, you will see why these things were a bother to the people of America when we were growing up. This is before our time. But you can see why anti-Semitism and bigotry and all of these things they're still with us. They were back there. It's just now they're starting to show again. Maryland, for example, required a declaration of belief in God for all state office holders till 1961. <clears throat> now look at this. This is interesting. When you just troll for persecution in the United States, just type it into Google. It's unbelievable what's available. Kim Burrell is a black gospel singer. I know none of these people whose song I See a Victory appeared in a movie called Hidden Figures. Again, I've never seen it. I don't even know what it's about. But listen to what it does. Kim is also a preacher. And on one of her videos surfaced preaching strongly against homosexuality and it appeared on the Internet after she was the lead singer in this movie and song. Well, at that point then, Ellen DeGeneres disinvited her and TV shows and her radio show was canceled. Just ba-boom, ba-boom, she was almost a pariah. 
Williams, the sound producer on the movie appearing on DeGeneres' show, said Burrell is a fantastic singer, but there's no room for any kind of prejudice in 2017. Now, this article is going on. Listen, I just want you to see how they're thinking. Wait a second. It's prejudice when a pastor condemns in her church behavior that the Bible as understood by hundreds of millions of Christians around the world prohibits. Yet it's not prejudice when others make every effort to purge that person from the public space because of her faith. Now, did you follow that reasoning? Now, be careful. I'm setting you up. Just hang on. All right. Now, I would tell you that this is a great example of misuse of the First Amendment. Okay. And I'll show you why in just a little bit. Now, Ellen DeGeneres and the many sympathetic to her point of view believe it's just fine to crush Kim Burrell and destroy her career because of her Christian beliefs. But they are all for using the law to force a Christian baker to make a cake for a same-sex wedding or force a Christian photographer to work at one. It should be clear that what motivates the pro-homosexual movement is not advancing a free and tolerant society, is promoting a society that legitimizes their point of view and punishes as severely as possible those that reject it. This is fascism, not freedom. So now, you just got to think. I've talked to several of you already. Don't go down this rabbit hole or this rabbit hole on this issue because what you're going to see, if you're not already seeing it, is both sides are using fascistic behavior to force their version of religious freedom and the use of the First Amendment. And they both can't be right, I don't think. But you see what happened there. All right. Now, the role of the emerging... We shall speak on this conundrum in later lectures. I mean, I have pondered this more than anything else. What is wrong with the First Amendment? I mean, what's what are people using that for? I mean, I don't understand it because... And, and I'll show you here in just a minute. We shall speak on this conundrum, but several issues should be raised for your consideration tonight. The role of the emerging Catholic Evangelical Alliance. Christian nationalism. The role of the Constitution and the First Amendment in these situations. Racism, homophobia, ethnic homogeneity. Is this kind of persecution going to get better or worse? I think it's going to get worse in both directions. When will this issue spill over into religion and the Sunday issue? Do you see how all of these fights over cakes and all of this stuff, and I can't, sell, I can't give you a marriage license because I don't believe that homosexuals... I mean, just all of those issues, I think, are preparatory ways to handle the Sunday law when it becomes an issue. I mean, everybody... I mean, this is a setup. I, I haven't used the word conspiracy, but I'll use it now. I think it is a conspiracy. And it's coming from way up at the top. And it's coming down. So that's... And I'm going to tell you what to do about this. Have no fear. <laughs> we can bring to bear all the beauty and power of the Christian faith and the data and research showing that following these truths lead in the long run to healthier and wealthier lives, but we can't make anyone follow the faith. That's what freedom is about, letting people choose. But what we're experiencing now is growing religious persecution in our country. Those with anti-Christian values have considerable power through the media and are using it to eradicate traditional Christian values and presence. This cannot be tolerated, but how do we solve the problem? 
Do we have to go back to the bizarre state of separate but equal we experienced with race? And listen, folks, I think we could all say that we don't believe in abortion. I think that we don't believe in gay marriage. I, I mean, we believe in the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's not for discussion, okay? But I want you to see how they're using these issues and using the law and the Constitution on both sides. And it gets worse. Just hang on, hang on. Let me see how much more we got to hang on. 20 minutes, okay. Yeah, oh, on slide 71, I'm going to make it of 100. All right. Now, this was really good. Bethany Allen Ibrahimian. Sounds uh, Armenian. This is December 12, 2017, the fake news Washington Post. I say that in quotes, but anyway. <clears throat> now, Christians, this is a very thought-penetrating article. Christians are not supporting, and I've, I've abridged it, and I can give you the uh, reference. Christians are not supporting Donald Trump and Roy Moore because of racism, homosexuality, and I forget. Uh, anyway, I got two racisms. The word is persecution. According to a survey by the Public Religion Research Institute, a majority of white evangelicals believe that Christians face discrimination in the United States and are more likely to say that Christians rather than Muslims experience discrimination. Isn't that? They're, they're playing the martyr trick here all of a sudden. Christians are vastly overrepresented in Congress. While 70% of the population in America identifies with Christianity, 91% of the Congress says they're Christian. And, of course, you can imagine, likewise, non-Christians are vastly underrepresented, okay? But they're using the media. They've, there's a quote from Bill Maher, who's not safe for work or anything else. But I will tell you this, just to show you how they're thinking. Of course, on there they talk about pushing homosexuality and pushing drugs and pot. and I mean, it's... it's Unbelievable. But he says he was laughing at how Obama and the Congress were all tied up in a knot how to improve the plight of those who were downtrodden, meaning those on the left that wanted to be gay marriage and, and all of this. He says they need to quit worrying about that. If they want us to train the world about homosexuals or about this or about that, he says just let Hollywood do it. And I went, Bang. that's exactly what's going on. It's a conspiracy, and it's deliberate. And they are changing the morals of America by pe to, uh, people watching it. Well, it doesn't affect me. It's all right. I, don't, I, don't have, I can watch it. It doesn't affect me. Absolutely, it's affecting them. All right. Now, with the election of Trump and the rise of Moore, they are in open rebellion. It's talking about the Christian right. This is the article. They want their beliefs to extend outside the walls of their churches and into bakeries, businesses, doctor's office, public bathrooms, Congress, the court system, and the presidency, and they don't want these actions to be subjected to legal and social scrutiny. Now, do you see what the right... I mean, we just heard about that from the left, didn't we? <laughs> the same idea now is occurring on the right. 
They take such scrutiny and any resulting opposition as persecution. It's a powerful rallying cry that has now swelled into a force capable of rewriting laws and oppressing the truly vulnerable. Now, hang on, we'll talk about this. The writer finishes the article by saying American Christians are not under threat of persecution. They should be called out on it. Well, that might be true, but she's missing the entire point of what she should have saw. Based on our understanding of prophecy, Christians are taking over and deliberately taking over the structure of government. She ends up by making the point of this lecture here that the earth beast is going to link up and make an image to the sea beast. Protestant is working overtime on this merger. To speak to the previous article on Kim Burrell, what she describes is left-wing fascism, and what we see here is right-wing fascism. Both sides end up persecuting. Maybe this is a description of the Hegelian dynamic at work, and who knows what's going to come out of it. I just hope you... Before you embrace a situation, just recognize what they're doing on both sides of the fence. All right. There are some landmark cases in the Supreme Court. Um, This first one is interesting in 1878 because um, George Reynolds was a member of the Church of the Latter-day Saints, and he was charged with bigamy. And, of course, in order to get statehood, see, Mormons is not a separation of church and state. The local Mormon bishop is the judge, the local judge, as well as he is the bishop of the church. So there was no, there was no separation of church and state, so they had to give that up, and they had to give up polygamy in order to become a state in the union. And this was one reason that, that it happened. He was charged with bigamy after marrying a woman while still married to his wife, He reasoned that his religion required him to marry multiple women and the law therefore violated his First Amendment right. The court upheld Reynolds' conviction and Congress's power to prohibit polygamy. The court held that while Congress could not outlaw a belief in the correctness of polygamy, it could outlaw the practice. So you can still believe if you want to be a polygamist, you just can't practice it. The majority reason that while marriage is a sacred obligation is nevertheless usually regulated by law in most civilized nations, finally the court held that people cannot avoid a law due to their religion. And of course, that was a very interesting. Uh, this is one in Brownfield versus Brown, 1961, the Supreme Court upheld a Pennsylvania law requiring stores to close on Sunday even though Orthodox Jews argued that the law was unfair to them since their religion required them to close their stores on Saturday. Well, we could understand that. So he owned a retail clothing store, and he challenged the law as a violation of his religious liberty clauses because he needed to be open. So did the Pennsylvania Blue Law violate the First Amendment's protection of free exercise? In a 6-3 decision, the court held that the Pennsylvania Blue Law did not violate the free exercise, which meant that he had to close on Sunday. So you're going to, it's very interesting. They, they come down on one side or the other of these. They don't always be consistent. I guess it depends on which courts are there. So, but we'll go to one more. This one should be known to us. Adele Sherbert, a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, 1963, was fired from her job after she refused to work on Saturday 
The South Carolina Employment Security Commission denied her benefits, finding unacceptable her religious justification for refusing Saturday work. So, did the denial of unemployment compensation violate the First and Fourteenth Amendment? Yes, seven to two. The court held that the state's eligibility restrictions for unemployment compensation imposed a significant burden on Sherbert's ability to freely exercise her faith. Furthermore, there was no compelling state interest which justified such a substantial burden on this basic First Amendment right. Now, these are older. I've looked at the Religious Liberty website up at the General Conference. I must not be looking at the right place. I don't I know they're still doing things, but these are some of the landmark cases from which other cases are decided, and this went all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, I'm going to jump this because there's several more here I want to talk to you about. That's a that's called the Lemon case. It was Lemon versus Kurtzman in 1971. Basically, uh, what was happening is the Appellants in Pennsylvania represented citizens, taxpayers, who believed that the statute violated the separation of church and state described in the First Amendment, meaning um, they wanted taxpayers' money. They, the Catholic school wanted reimbursement for the salaries of teachers. So this is 1971. Remember we heard about that clear back in the, in the days of the Revolution? Here it is again. Catholics were saying we'd like some state funding. And, of course, this has come around again. I mean, there's a, uh, I forget the name of the court law, but it was, it was a church school. The state was offering grants to all schools in the state to upgrade the playgrounds and do things. And so this Lutheran church uh, said, well, yeah, we'll take some money to upgrade our school. And they got put down, and they finally got it through that, that it was okay to give them the money. So we're seeing a, a, even a change in the attitudes of, of all of these laws. Okay, now here's where it gets interesting. This is Clement. Clement. Uh, he was a lawyer, and he argued a number of cases before the Supreme Court, and I think this is the American Legal Society. He's talking a couple of years ago. Okay. There's two types of religious liberty cases, he's opining. One consists of cases where there is a broad public consensus which achieves a 9-0 result in the Supreme Court. These decisions pain to the internal function of houses of worship. And the, the case in point was the Hosanna Tabor Lutheran Church decision in 2012 found a constitutional right for the church to select clergy exclusively on religious considerations. In other words, you did not have to follow the government regulations to hire a quota of gays, lesbians, Baptists, Methodists, or anybody else, but who you wanted for your Lutheran church. So that was 9 to 0. And most of the cases of this nature have been decided in this fashion. So that is one type of case, broad public consensus, decisions pertain to the internal function of the houses of worship. Here's where it gets foggy and boggy. The second type consists of cases where society is divided between liberal and conservative opinion, which until Scalia's death resulted in five to four decisions, the Supreme Court in favor of a broader religious liberty. You see, we just went from you can hire who you want to now we're talking about cultural issues between liberal and conservative opinion. 
such as the exercise of faith in the public square and religious exemptions from liberal law and public policy are good examples of these latter cases. In other words, Obama's health law required Hobby Lobby to offer birth control and abortion counseling, etc. So here there can be expected to be a great loss of religious liberty with cases very difficult to argue due to a likely final negative end result in a liberal Supreme Court. See, now do you understand why people voted for Trump? 81% of evangelicals voted for Trump to put a Supreme Court justice in there who would stop this kind of thing, but primarily to stop Roe v. Wade and stop abortions legally. That's, that's, that's why they voted for him. And because after eight years of these likely negative results, and as you recall, the Justice Department of the Obama administration, now don't come out of here telling me that Obama's wonderful, Trump's terrible, or vice versa. I mean, not into that, okay? But look what they were doing for eight years. Remember the king of the north, the king of the south? This is an issue of a king of the north, the king of the south. Let's don't get into all of this other misery. Okay, here can, there can be expected, in general, religious liberty claims prevail if they do not back into another right. If you can understand that, you're pretty smart out there. It's, I've been reading and reading on this. Here I've just summarized that because of this activist government talking about the Obama administration, one can no longer objectively cast opposition to the HHS contraceptive abortifacient mandate as a war on women. In other words, you can't call that a war on women. Of course, the religious right now is saying it's a war on women that they don't need that stuff, okay? So, I mean, it's just, I hope you can understand that they're just flipping the argument over. And you're no better off than you were before they flipped it. I mean, you are no better off. Despite numerous exemptions given to non-religious organizations such as Exxon, Visa, Pepsi, along with one out of three Americans, religious organizations were relentlessly pursued in the courts with favorable decisions to religious liberty appealed by the government, regardless of how narrow the conscientious objector's objection to the mandate. That's another reason why people voted. I mean, consider if you were living in 1930 Germany. You had two choices. What were they if you were a voter? One was communism. The other was emerging fascism. Tough choice. Most people, including industrialists and everybody else, said we would rather have fascism than communism. They hadn't even read Mein Kampf. They had no idea what was coming. And I have not said all of a sudden that Obama's communist and Trump is fascist. It had nothing to do with it. We have a choice, and that's what people took, the best of the choice that they could take. That's all it is for this purpose. Overall, the panel presented a picture of the life and liberty of millions of religious Americans threatened by forces against which the deeply rooted American constitutional freedoms are no defense. So that's why they're inventing this defense. They're using the First Amendment to say, I have the right, you're, it's like my nurse. I was working at one of our Adventist hospitals and we, I was the department head and said we don't work Friday night and Sabbath here. She says, you're violating my religious rights. 
to work when I want to work. You see how that's turned around? Well, we owned it. It was a private hospital. If we wanted her to work Tuesday night at midnight, she had a choice. She could work Tuesday night at midnight or she could go on. I mean, but that's what's happening is the thing is being flipped upside down. The determination by the panelists to defend the broad religious freedom of the American past, the Christian legal society, and the religious Americans in general may turn out to be crucial in preserving some significant measure of religious liberty. This is Clement talking at the, American, at the Christian legal society. But beyond that, Christians know that whatever the outcome of the present struggles, God works all things to his purposes in the end. Now, if you will focus on that last statement, I think you'll get through this mess. But if you don't see what he just said there, you know, I keep, I don't want to steal my own thunder here, but we're going to talk about what to do for this problem here in the next when I'm working on all these lectures, I've got all of these little pigeonholes up here of where all these quotes are, and they're not always in the right one that I'm talking about. So I'm waiting. It will come. In conclusion, here we are. We are a bit breathless at the fragility. I hope you're breathless a little at the fragility of religious freedom and religious liberty. Even in America, it's not always been the case. True, we left the old world and the sea beast for the freedom the Puritan immigrants indulged in the same persecution of dissenters until the founding fathers put her constitution into effect. This great American experiment would rectify these injustices and promote religious liberty. By trial and error, this amazing constitution began to give America the opportunity to become a beacon of hope for generations longing to be free. We have just now described an emerging movement that goes beyond the traditional interpretation of the First Amendment. The First Amendment is now being co-opted for cultural purposes of the majority and not for the conscience of the minority. Do you realize when you say the Pledge of Allegiance and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God? Nobody really cares if we're a republic anymore. Everyone wants to be from Bill O'Reilly on down, a democracy. And what's the difference? Democracy. <laughs> democracy is majority rule so if everybody's got to wear wingtip shoes and we vote it you're going to wear them or whatever the penalty is republic though protects the minority I mean there is a huge difference but we are even though we're still saying into the republic as it stands we're going democracy all the way this leaves us with severe divisions within the country over multiculturalism and how to preserve the traditions of religions beyond that of Judeo-Christian beliefs that founded America. We are seeing an emerging coalition of Catholics and evangelicals who are using the First Amendment to enforce their beliefs on the USA. We shall describe how this has occurred in Wednesday's session. Now keep in mind, I'm, I'm still not for abortion. I'm still for prayer. I don't have a problem with prayer in a public school or whatever. But that's not the issue. We're talking about who's being persecuted here. <laughs> that's, who's going to be in charge of who's persecuted? That's the question. They are using the courts to promote different applications of the First Amendment and reduce the constitutional and religious rights. How long will it take before the right to worship on the day of the week the Bible says is to be changed? I, I'm just asking that question. If you're confused, Satan is happy. Creating confusion over the truth is part of the great conspiracy of Satan. There are biblical answers to these questions, and we're going to see them throughout the rest of the week. And with that, we have ended.
one minute too late, one minute late, and that's wonderful. I will stay afterwards. I mean, I don't. You can stay and ask questions, and then anybody that wants to leave. I am no expert on the Constitution. I'm reading you what I have learned, and so I'm just dipping my toe into the water. And there's a big, uh, a twenty-foot tsunami coming, and I don't know what to do about it totally. But so. Let's bow our heads. Loving Lord, we thank you for the clarity we've achieved. We hope to understand how exceptional and providential this nation was. As we see liberty and values eroding in every way, Lord, we take courage that you are coming soon. Pray to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.